It's a fun um, This morning is a bit of a, an interesting morning for us. Actually, it's a special morning for us. Does anyone know the significance of what today is? Who said yes? Oh, don't know. You put your hand down. <laughs> Elders can't put their hand up. <laughs> Anniversary of the lightning strike. Oh, it's close, but no. So, in February of 1929, the building at uh, Peruri Street um, uh, in Woburn there was dedicated to the Baptist churches of New Zealand. And then on the, 20, on the 19th of March, 1929, Lower Heart Baptist was officially formed. It's our birthday today. So, we are 94 years old. Jane! You, spare, you share an awesome birthday. 19th of March. So 94 years ago. <laughs> Just want to make that clear, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's before you and before your mother. <laughs> it was 94 years ago uh, our church began on this very day, which happens to be on a Sunday as well, which I thought was pretty cool. So I just wanted to share that with you. And obviously, we're only six years away from a centenary, um, which is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Um, let's get into the Sunday sermon. Um, this morning, we're talking about windscreens. And as I've told you constantly every week, I am not a car guy. Um, it's very not typical of an Italian not to be a car guy. But you know, when I thought windscreens, I thought window screens, Right? Actually, it's because they stopped the wind, apparently. Go figure. Windscreens. So what is the importance of windscreens, apart from keeping the wind off your face? Bugs, yes, definitely bugs. Definitely bugs. It's raining, yes. Um, and, 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 and like the humidity levels, depending on what suburb you drive through. Like I'm driving normally along and all of a sudden my windows fog up. Anyone get that? Uh, like in the morning in particular. And then you can't see where you're going, no matter how much power you put on the AC and everything. What else? Occasional rocks. Oh, my goodness. Little things, they do a lot of damage, don't they? They keep a clean window screen, windscreen, keeps your view clear, right, of where you're going. They are really, really important. When you look forward, what do you see in your life? 
And the car that you are driving, that is your car, your life, when you look out that windscreen, what do you see? What do you see ahead of you? And the question that I'm going to challenge you with this morning is this, what's blocking your view? What's blocking your view? I'm going to just take a detour at the moment, and I'm going to go into a story that we find in 2 Samuel. It's about a guy named Benaiah. I've shared a little bit about it. I've shared about the book that's written, that they've written on this guy. And it's a short passage, but I'll read it out to you. It says this. Um, there we go. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two Midas warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian, although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I, you know, it, it's just right in the middle there. But I read that and I think he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. It sounds almost Monty Python-esque, doesn't it? Well, I killed a lion. Well, I killed a lion in a pit. Well, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I mean, seriously, what's... I mean, I, I, I just think about this, and a whole book's been written on this. Mark Batterson's wrote and written a book on this, and, and it's just like, when I see a lion, my thought, my very first thought, if it's there in front of my window screen, I'm running. Not against it, I'm, I'm running the other way. Right? There's that old adage, whoever's slowest, so you just got to be faster than the slowest guy. That, that's me, that's the first thing that will come through my mind. Either what's the closest tree I can climb, or what's the closest guy I can pull behind me. Survival, right? No, this guy has a completely opposite view. He sees the lion, and what does he do? He runs after it. And the funny thing is, it's this lion runs away from him. Lions weigh about 300 kilos, right? They're, they're big. You know, apparently, humans have 20-20 eye vision, the best we can get, right? And a lion's best that they can get is five times better than that. I mean, they're cats. They're agile. We're clunky. And still, he jumped in there. I want to know what Benaiah saw out of his windscreen to give him that kind of courage. Um, you guys may not know what this is. This is a little house in Nantucket in the US. It's actually also a museum. It's where the Life-Saving Society began in the US. Now, in Nantucket, there was quite a lot of um, shipwrecks, and so... These guys got together and they said, we've got to do something about this. So they set up the Life Saving Society. That's a fascinating story. They set up all these little huts along the coast with these wheel wells and ropes. And so they'd go to them, they'd wrap them around and they'd go out. Right? You know what their motto? Well, it's changed now and there's a reason why it's changed. But do you know what their motto is? Anyone know? You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. 
Oh, yeah, that's endearing, isn't it? I'll sign up for that. It's, it's fascinating. There's an article that writes all about this. You know, they call it the long blue line. You know, they, they didn't want excuses like it was too rough or the weather was, or the storm was too severe because that's what people would say. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. <laughs> I, I, kind of, you think of Nike's just do it or, you know, yeah, no, this is not endearing. And yet, people were signing up for this. I want to know what was in their windscreen to come up with this thing that I'll do it. That's a great motto. Here I am. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons we've we have a blocked view of what's ahead is because we are afraid. We're afraid of the monsters that might lie ahead. We're afraid of what we're seeing come up. And some people don't seem to have that fear, but I think most of us, in fact, I'd say the majority of us have this. What scares you the most when you look through your windscreen? What lions are there in your life? Um, when I became a Christian, I was 21, and, you know, new Christians in particular, they just got this, uh, I don't know, edge of wanting to just do stuff. And as a young Christian, I just got in there and did everything. And there's also a sense of arrogance with young people, which we all love and hate at the same time, you know, especially those of us who are older, and I had that in the droves. But I was growing up in an era at a time when young people were never really given much opportunity, especially in church, because you had to be wiser, older, certain color of skin, certain surname, certainly family background, all those things that I was naive about coming into church. And now I'm at a stage in my life where actually the opposite's happening, which is great. You know, young people are getting far more opportunity, especially in churches. Uh, in our Baptist Union, but us older people are kind of getting shoved away. And I'm like, I just got, was born at the wrong time. Those of us in our 40s and 50s feel like, oh, we finally worked hard to get the experience. And so sometimes when I look out my window screen, is, is this it? Is this me? Am I done? And some of you are older than me are thinking, oh, no, Rob. It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Many years ago, this is a photo of Jessica when she was about three, I think. Bella would remember that better than me, um, ages and all that kind of stuff. She was little. We had moved to Sacramento to plant a church, Lifesong. Um, prior to this, in 2005, we were in uh, Helensburg Baptist Church, which is a really an idyllic community south of Sydney, you know, right in the middle of the National Forest, right by a beach. It was, it was amazing. It was a tough church. But for the kids growing up and for us as a family, it was amazing. And of course, the arrogance of saying, we can do whatever, you know, because when you're young, you feel you can. We got this opportunity to plant this church. They came from the US to come and talk to us about this. We felt privileged. We felt we could do this. And we did it. And it failed miserably. Absolutely, completely. And, you know, up until that point, my windscreen was pretty clear. 
I had a purpose. I was good at what I did. I was an up-and-coming preacher. I could run a lot of systems in the church. I could motivate people. I'd grown youth groups from nothing. And all of a sudden, my windscreen went just totally dirt. A couple of rocks hit it, cracks appeared, and I couldn't see clearly anymore out. For three months, I stayed away from church after this. Believe it or not, I worked as a handyman in a trailer park in South Sacramento. I showed up with brand new gloves to work, and the guy looked at me and said, Rob, they're gardening gloves. <laughs> Tells you how much I know my stuff. And finally, I took the courage to just step out and go back in. And I was, we were taken to a church in northern Virginia, across country, so I, not only did I pack my kids up and my whole family and leave Australia to go to some place we'd never been to before in Sacramento. Not only did we find ourselves with nothing and not even enough money to get back home, so we're stuck in Sacramento. Then I took a job that was across country, and all of a sudden these moves were starting to actually impact me. Rather than before this happening, I would do everything and anything. Now I'm thinking, do I need to do this? Should I do this? I don't know if I should do this or not. Because the windscreen didn't look as clear anymore to me. So now I'm going to pack up my family again, hop in a car and drive for seven days across a country to another place. And Southview, as challenging as a church, I don't think there is any church on the planet that's not challenging. It's not a bad thing. It had its challenges. But by 2009, things were starting to move relatively smoothly. And by the end of 2009, the old Rob was saying, you need to move, Rob. And the new Rob was saying, nah, why do I want to do that? I don't need to do that. This is good. This is this good money. The kids are settled. This is, uh... And in early 2010, we had a couple of opportunities. One was in a place in Pennsylvania, York. Pennsylvania, right in the middle of Pennsylvania Dutch country, beautiful area of the, kind of the world. You know, the Yalamish are down the road, it's beautiful. We had an opportunity there, that kind of fell through, and I kept thinking, oh no, this is God telling me to stay where I am. And then New Zealand popped up on the radar. And I remember distinctly, six months later, locking the door to our house as we were leaving to take the plane and the family to this new country that we knew nobody in all over again and thinking, what in the world is going on? I am not as confident as I am or was. And the windscreen still doesn't look that clear. Does anyone resonate with some of this? You know, you're, you're young and you're just, yeah, I can do this and and then you get hit around a little bit and you hit these little speed bumps and sometimes they're a bit more bigger than just speed bumps. And you start to think, I'm not really, uh, some lions are appearing in my life and I'm not comfortable moving forward on this. It's a challenge, isn't it? It'd be great to be like Benaiah, right? And just jump out and chase a lion into a pit. It can snow, hail. If it's Wellington, it'll be windy as well. 
But you see, I think what I think scares us the most isn't necessarily what we see out there, but I think what we see staring back at us being ourselves scares us the most. As I've gotten older, they tell me you get wiser. I think you just become a little bit more skittish. You know the mistakes you've made, and you look in the mirror and you see the lines growing on your face and the hair not growing in places you wish they would grow, rather in the places that you wish they didn't grow. You start to see yourself not being able to lose weight, not sleeping well at night, and you start thinking, I don't like what I see. And for those of us who are younger, maybe it's not the physical stuff. Maybe it's the fact that you keep making mistakes. You keep slipping up. You're trying to make this work and it doesn't seem to be working. Let me tell you a story. And it's a story that I hope will unblock just a little bit your view and allow you to maybe clean some part of that windscreen and see clearly what God thinks of you and what God sees as your path. The story begins with a guy named Peter. It's in John chapter 18, verse 10. Peter is this guy who's, I mean, if you want to talk about a young person that's full of fire, it seems to be Peter. From the very beginning, he's the centerpiece, he's the leader, people look at him, he seems to be the, I'm the guy. And you always see it in any kind of movie or any kind of cartoon or whatever. Peter's the blocky, stocky guy, right? Anyone that Sunday school, he's always the, hey, hey, I'm Peter, right? It's just that kind of image we've got of Peter because he seems to be the guy that's the boss or wants to be the boss or is trying maybe too hard to be the boss. Either way, it's Peter. And you see it come out right at the end and it's John, his close buddy, who makes this mention of him right at a time. And you can just see how much um, bravado he's got. He goes, and they're in, the, they're in the Gethsemane. This is after the Last Supper. They're all down praying, and Jesus is praying, and then the guards come to take Jesus away. And there's guards. There's like people with swords and, and army people, and, and they're all there to take Jesus away. And Peter does this. He goes, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And I don't know if he did that on purpose or he just swung crazily. They mentioned the guy's name, which... I think Malchus would be quite appreciative of seeing as he's lost an ear. But you could see this bravado in Peter. I'll stand up. I will protect you, Jesus, in front of everyone. I've got a sword and I may not know how to swing it right, but that's okay. I can do this. And as they take Jesus away, John and Peter follow. And the story goes on. John goes on to say, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. That other disciple, we believe, is John. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, John. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside that door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So while John went off and did his thing, because he had access to the, he had that key card that could get him into different places, in the high priest's house, poor old Peter had to stay in the courtyard with the servants. 
So one of them turns to Peter and says, you, aren't you one of the man, that man's disciples too? You, you are, right? She asked Peter and he replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. And Peter was also standing with them, warning himself. So much for the sword-wielding Peter. Going on. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And again, he denied it, saying, no, I'm not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, right? Oh, this is going to be really... You imagine Peter, he's just standing there going... You know, and the guy's like, looks at him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Are you that crazy guy with the sword? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, John, I think, is being polite because it's his buddy. But Luke is holding no punches back. Look at Luke's version. It says this, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not that guy. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Up until this moment, you can only imagine that Peter's windscreen is clear and he's on the highway, he's traveling at 125 k's, even though the limit's 100, he didn't care, he is going for it. Do you imagine what's going to happen now for him? He's hit the guardrail, he's off the road, he's done. That windscreen is now completely blanked. Those words, and he went outside and wept bitterly. As a Baptist pastor, if I publicly denied Jesus three times, do you think I'd still be up here preaching? Disqualified. Put on administrative leave. Imagine how Peter must have felt. The bravado is gone. There is nothing left. There is no highway. There is no road. Heck, he can't see beyond his dashboard. And it's fascinating how Jesus deals with this. It's fun. He's awesome. So Jesus dies and then he resurrects and, and, and all this. But Peter has completely left everything. He's gone back to where he was before Jesus met him, and that was fishing, because that's all he knew to do. At that point, he stopped, and he said, what am I supposed to do now? Huh? I can't possibly be that guy anymore. I've disqualified myself. I've ashamed myself. I, I, there's no way I'm going to put my face out there again. He goes back to what he knows what he can do. And in John 21, 15 through 19, there's this story where he's out fishing early, early one, or they did it all overnight, and they caught nothing. And early in the morning, there's a guy off on the seashore, yells out to him, throw the nets on the other side. These guys are so tired, most probably they've been up all night. They're seeing the sun come up in the, uh, on the horizon. Uh, let's just throw the nets on the other side. And all of a sudden, boom, full of fish. And John turns and says, it's the Lord. And Peter just realizes it. And without even thinking, good old Peter rips his garments off, wraps it around his waist and jumps straight in the water. 
I want to know if he got there before the boat got there. I'd be doing that, and halfway through, I'd be like, why did I do this? You know, as you see the boat kind of sailing by. <laughs> why? He's just, he doesn't think. That's the way he is. He's going to do it. He jumps in, and he goes. And Jesus has already got a little fire going. He's got breakfast ready, and he challenges Peter. Do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. I love you. Yeah, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Yeah. And then he goes again. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah of course I do. I, I, what are you talking about? Of course. I look after my sheep. And, 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 do you love me? Why? Well, of course I love you. When do roosters crow? Any time, huh? <laughs> Morning is generally when, crow, when they crow, when the sun comes up. What's Pavlov's dog? Anyone know the story of Pavlov's dog? You know, yeah, this is the situation. Jesus is trying to say, you know what? You, when you ever hear a crow, a rooster crow, all you're going to remember is you denying me. I want to change that because every time the rooster crow, I want you to remember that, that, that you love me. And I want you to remember this moment, not that one. It's powerful. It gets lost because it's black and white on a, on a piece of paper and we don't read the feeling behind it. We don't imagine ourselves in Peter's space. But you know what? I think we all can imagine ourselves because every one of us, in one way or another, have just kind of fallen short in some areas in our lives with Jesus. But not just with Jesus, with a lot of people, including ourselves. And we don't think of ourselves very highly, do we? But it's fascinating that the Gospel of John ends with this story. The other Gospels come up with all these great things, you know, oh, you need to go out into the world, make disciples of all people. John ends on this story. Because it, for him, it sums everything up, who this Jesus is. It sums Jesus up in a nutshell. And he sums you up, me up. This is us. This is what it's about. God loves you no matter how much you fail. God loves you no matter how many times you've broken that speed limit and, and in our arrogance have done stupid things time and again and we keep knocking ourselves in the head saying, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing this? My watch is telling me I've just done 10,000 steps. I can feel the vibrations. Got to keep going back and forth, sorry. <laughs> oh, you broke the moment, Rob. Uh. Watch. God loves us through the messiness of what we might see through that windscreen. And all he wants to do is just clean it up and show you how much he loves you. Yeah, rocks are going to hit that windscreen. Yeah, there's going to get all that kind of gunk in my... I had put my car in a few weeks ago, and Monica was like, Rob, they're telling me down at the mechanic that, that the windscreen wipers had worn through and it's scraping the glass. Didn't you notice that? Well, it was making a weird noise. And my wife going, oh, Rob. Sometimes that's us, right? In our own lives. Why is, it, why, why is this always happening? And someone just kind of taps you like, haven't you thought of this? 
oh, yeah, that makes sense. And he still loves us through that. Loves us through that. The interesting side story to Peter, which I, I you know, uh, many, uh, Reformation done some very good things. It also did some pretty weird things. And one of it is it just kind of, all the old traditions were kind of cut. But early in that second century, there was a number of writings out there. We call them the Apocrypha. They're not books that we would say are, are, you know, um, God-inspired per se, but they're good books. And one of them in particular was the Acts of Peter. And it talks about Peter making his way to, to, to Rome, much of which for the first 300 years of church life, all the early church leaders believed it. Now, whether he died there or not, we don't know. But the interesting part of where the Vatican is built today, it's called the pauper's ground. So in Roman times, people who had no allegiance to Rome or any kind of Roman citizenship, when they were executed, their bodies were thrown into the pauper's ground, which was across from the Tiber River, away from Rome, where they believe now St. Peter's is built. But Peter had made his way to Rome, and during the persecutions there, he decided to leave, get away from the persecutions. And as he's making his way down the Arpian Way, he encounters Jesus. And he turns to Jesus and he says in Latin, Quo Vadis, where are you going? And Jesus replies, I'm going back to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter feels that same failure, stops, holds his Lord and says, no, I will go. It's time for me to step up. And off he goes. Later on, tradition says that uh, he was uh, executed, uh, crucified, as John kind of points out in chapter 21 of his gospel, he was crucified, but he was crucified upside down. The Acts of Peter says the reason why he did that wasn't because he didn't want to be like his saviour to be crucified the same way, but to show people that they got their lives upside down. Still preaching the good news, even in his death. It's a, it's a fascinating story from where he's come from. Now, whether it's true or not, I must probably lost to history, to be honest, but it's a great story. And not out of character. In our walk with the Lord, we're going to mess up many, many times. In our walk with our friends and our family, we're going to mess up many, many, many times. The great thing about it is the grace of God covers us. He expects that. Just like your kids that mess up with you, how many times do you have to tell your kids, even when they're 25? <laughs> you still love them. God's the same with us. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows we're going to make mistakes. So start seeing yourself and seeing out that windscreen the way God sees you and what God sees out there for you. You know, <laughs> life-saving motto, you have to go out. You may not, you don't have to come back. But the difference is, is we know what's out there and we know what's 
on the other side. That's where our faith rests, in knowing more to life than just this road that we're on. And death is not the end. So, this week, got a challenge for you. By the way, who invited someone over this week that they didn't know? Oh, we've got a couple of hands up. Yep, okay, you've got another week. I'll give you another week. Okay, so this week's challenge is this. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to just stop at some point this week, five minutes, 10 minutes, lunchtime, morning, whatever it's going to take. Just take some time out and start to take note of what are the lions in your life. They could be lions that you're seeing ahead. They could be lions that have mauled you from before. What are the lions in your life? What are the fears? What are your fears in facing them? Write them down, take some time, and I want you to lift them up and hand them to God. It's a simple process. But I want you to write them down, own them, and then hand them to God and leave them with Him. Don't call me up this week and said, I chased a cat down a sewer pipe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leave the poor cats alone. But be encouraged this week that, that everyone in this room, I've gone to 11.24, they're going to kill me downstairs. I've got to stop. I've got to stop. Be encouraged and be challenged that you are deeply and wonderfully made and you are deeply loved. Through all of the brokenness, start seeing yourself the way God sees you. Amen? Amen. Ask the music team to come up.